Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. So the last spoken words of Jesus to his disciples are a, uh, they're commissioning directive for each one of us as we wait for him to return. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we, uh, we left off with this at the end last week. Let's read through it again here real quick. Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, go then to all the peoples everywhere, make them my disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's something that I know. Everybody who's sitting in here is here because at some point, uh, one or more likely several of Jesus' followers invested in you. He invested in us to experience him through his family. Uh, This methodology, it started with Jesus when two guys followed him down a road, kind of stalking him, and uh, he turned around and looked at him and go, what do you guys want? And uh, they looked at him and said, hey, we want to know more. Where are you going? He says, come and see. Come check it out. Come hang out with me for a little while. And they go and experience life with him. And on and on and on, that same thing happens. That's, that's how the community of believers that we call the church got started. It's the reason we continue today. That's how it works. Inviting people to come and experience Jesus works just like anything else that we get excited about. You know, when we find something we love, we find something that is, that is life-changing. It makes a difference in our lives. No matter how big, how small, can I just tell you, some of the things I've gotten most excited about in the last few years are like the small things. They're little things that you just, like those little life hack things, that little thing you find on Amazon. You're like, this is the greatest thing that made it. There was a guy, so you guys know those little clips that you use on a, a radiator hose? You know, that you use pliers and you squeeze them and then they pop off and they shoot off somewhere where you can never actually get them off. Do you know there's a tool for those and it's not that expensive? Blew my mind. It was like one of the greatest revelations I ever found out about. That thing is so nice. So there you go. Go look that up. I don't know what they're called, but I'm telling you, it'll change your world. We are evangelists for all kinds of things. I know some of you don't think about yourself in terms of that word, but I guarantee that you are. And I I can promise you, if you have a social media account, doesn't matter which one it is, I can probably find out pretty quickly what you're an evangelist for. What we know innately is that life-changing things can't be summed up in words, right? Life-changing things need to be experienced. I can tell you about that little tool that like pulls back and it holds it open so you don't have to like keep squeezing the clamp. But once you use it, you're like, I gotta have one of these. And that's a general strategy, again, that God has used to grow his church, but it leaves, it does leave a few unanswered questions. For some of you, there is one very specific question that as we have this conversation, whether it was last week, whether it's today, maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks as we we go through this series, this is your million dollar question and it is this, and it's the one blank that I can't fill in for you. I had to to have this conversation with the tech guys on Thursday night. I don't have an answer for this one. How do I help? You got to fill in the blank here. 
How do I help this person, that person, whoever that person is? Some of you have some specific names running through your head right now. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a a sister or a child or a husband or a a wife or a best friend. I I don't know. I, I don't know who's whose name you're going to fill that blank in, but I guarantee you've probably got at least one or two that you could. And that's the million-dollar questions we have this conversation. Evangelism is a great thing to talk about. I mean, we talk about growing the church. We talk about the church growing. That's fantastic. But it gets real personal when we start thinking about those people in our lives who we know are struggling, and they need what we've found in a relationship with God. Somebody you know that needs to experience the healing and the peace and the joy and the hope that you found. For some of you, just the thought will bring tears to your eyes because you love them, you care for them. Some of you have been praying for them. Some of you maybe for a decade or more and you don't know how to help them. How do you get them past that point? How do you help them have that relationship that for you is so important? You know, last week we watched four people who are interested in Jesus, choose to drop whatever it was that they had planned. I don't know what they were going to do with their day. But, but these guys dropped it all to take a 60-mile walk with Jesus, and they wanted to see what do his teachings look like in the real world. Like, how does this actually work out? There's no way they could have been prepared for what they were going to experience. So they head out with Jesus. Their first stop is crashing a wedding. They go back to his hometown, they crash a wedding, and they're subsequently witness to the very first, very first miracle of Jesus' ministry. They spend some time with Jesus and his family. Have you ever thought about that? That they, they stayed there after the wedding and they hung out with Jesus' mom and probably his siblings. They talked to him. I can't prove this, but I really wonder, is this, is this that moment where they, they had conversations with Mary and, and she started filling the disciples in on, on his birth and all the things that, you know, scripture says that, that, that she had hid all this stuff in her heart for a long, long time. Is this where she starts sharing with Peter and with these guys? Hey, this is what his birth was like. This is what happened. These are the things that I saw and I experienced. They head over to the temple. They see a totally different side to Jesus because he gets in there and he's mad. He's mad at what he finds. And so he starts fashioning a whip and he drives out the, the, the money changers. He flips over the tables. He, uh, he, he tells everybody that the temple is his father's house. They spend some time listening to Jesus' dialogue with one of the most respected teachers in their culture, a leader of uh, Jewish courts named Nicodemus. But it's a moment later when when the crowds have, have swollen into a multitude that I want to kind of focus in on today. So in Matthew 5, they're outside of this town called Capernaum, right next to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is standing and he's watching. They're coming out from all over the place. I mean, at this point, thousands of people are coming to listen to him teach. And he's watching them file in. And he's looking around at the disciples who have been kind of hanging out with him, who are following him, who are dedicated to him. And something changes because he looks at him and says, I got to start training you guys. You got to get more involved here. And so he takes them up onto a mountain and he has a conversation with them that, uh, that most of you probably know as the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Do you realize that was, that was a training regime for his, his disciples, He's going to sit down with them and go, okay, this is the stuff I really, if you're going to work with me, 
this is what you need to know. And so he begins with some insights into the, the values of his kingdom. He talks with them about what would be blessed and what would be rewarded, the things that he and his movement would be known for. He unfolds for him the characteristics of what it really means to, to follow him. And I'll just tell you, you know, we read it and we go, well, of course this is great stuff. Well, that's because for a lot of you, man, you've read that a hundred different times through your life. You've heard who knows how many sermons. If you've been in church for very long at all, you've heard a bunch of sermons about the Sermon on the Mount. So we know this stuff innately. For them, man, this value system was really different than what they were used to. And then he shifts into an explanation of their part to play. Man, can you imagine the rush just to have been around Jesus in the middle of this part of his ministry? It would have been amazing. I just... Just to be able to hang out and go, yeah, yeah, I'm with him. Like, I, I went from this town to this town to this town. Uh, when my cousin was just out of high school, he ran away, and he, uh, he joined the caravan that followed the dead around, and he did that for like a year and a half, came back with dreads, we had to shave his head. Anyway, um, <clears throat> can you imagine how cool it would be just to follow Jesus around? So that, that would have been great enough, right? But then imagine him looking at you and going, hey, not only are you just going to follow me and hang out, you, you have a role to play in my ministry. You're not just going to be here as like my, you know, kind of in the background. I, I want you to be in the foreground. You, you're actually going to be my hands and my feet. You're going to help me out with this. And so Jesus lays out their role using two really common metaphors, simple metaphors. You've You've heard these before. Hang with me, because I just want to spend a few minutes looking at them. He starts with this one, Matthew 5, 13. What's he tell them? You're the salt of the earth. Salt for us is primarily for flavor. My doctor tells me it's trying to kill me. Um, you know, it, its importance today for us is actually kind of marginal. Uh, I, I find it really ironic Salt's one of the cheapest things in the supermarket, right? Through history, salt was one of the most expensive commodities. It was actually traded. It was used as its own currency because it was so valuable. Why was it so valuable? It was extremely valuable because they didn't have refrigeration. Man, if you want to talk about, <laughs> about us being uh, privileged, you know, the biggest way that we're privileged over everybody in the history of the world, you have a refrigerator, like it changes your life. We have freezers. We can take and preserve food so easily. We're so used to walking in and pulling stuff out of freezers. Man, those days, food preservation, it was hard. It's a hot climate, right? And so how did you, how'd you keep food for very long at all, especially meats? Well, you use salt. Again, salt's cheap for us, but it wasn't for them. So Jesus is, is looking at them, and he starts off with this metaphor. He says, look, in the same way that you guys are used to using salt to preserve your food, I'm going to use you to preserve the world around you. That's one of my purposes for you. This is what you're going to do. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to be a preservative. So Jesus is saying, look, in the same way, I, I want you to be that for the people that are around you. Now, for some of you, this is your story. You bumped into a salty Christian. Not that kind of salty. <laughs> somebody, who, somebody who lived a certain way and their lives were kind of different. 
The way they talked about, the way they lived out their values was a bit different than what you normally saw. The way they talked about business or family their spouse, or, or maybe their marriage was a bit different than, than what you'd experienced. Um, even the way they used their money and, and the way they saw their life's purpose was different than, than what you were used to. Maybe it even seemed old-fashioned. Maybe you made fun of them with other people. Maybe you called them a stick in the mud. Maybe you said, eh, they just don't want to have fun. But it's also what gave them credibility at the end. Because at some point... When, when your life, when you got to a point where you realized, man, your life wasn't providing the joy that you were really looking for, the peace that you were really looking for, and you looked around at the friends and the people you hung out with who lived lives that looked like yours, and you realized they weren't any happier than you were either, where did you go? And they had some answers for you. And they were salty for you in your life. I know some of your stories. There's a lot of you I haven't met yet. I, we, got, we got a long time. Don't all come to me this week. But man, we got, I, I'm looking forward to decades of hearing your stories, okay? But here's what I know. Some of you, there are some salty Christians who helped preserve some things of great importance in your life. For some of you, their presence, their advice played a significant role in preserving your family or your marriage or your job or maybe your purity, maybe even your sanity. And it was, it was, it was preserved because somebody who followed Jesus lived a salty life. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. This is my purpose for you. That's some pressure, right? Being salty is actually kind of hard. And it's easy to get discouraged, and sometimes we want to bail. Sometimes, uh, man, we don't, we don't think how people watch our lives. They don't really care how we live, but they do. And living salty comes with some realizations and some requirements. So let me encourage you, you are where you are for a reason, Paul went so far to write to some believers in Corinth who were in, man, one of the hardest situations you can think of. And this is what he said to him, 1 Corinthians 7, 24. Friends, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. See, if you want to be what God has designed you to be as, as his follower, as his disciple, you're going to have to live salty. And part of living salty is simply being faithfully present wherever you are. Now, I tell you, with discernment, live with godly boundaries. That is really, really important, okay? But don't forget that he's made you to be salt no matter where you are and who you're around. You're supposed to be a preservative for, for the space that you're in. Salt doesn't work as a preservative unless it's present. Again, some of you have kind of fallen into the pitfall of thinking that it doesn't matter how you live. God's going to do what God's going to do. He's, you know, you just do your own thing, live your own way. Hopefully last week, and if you weren't here for last week, man, get online. We've, we've got all these online, so you're welcome to go back and watch it, listen to it later. But hopefully last week impressed on you just how important of a role you actually have in the kingdom, what God wants to do in your life. Man, it's easy to get selfish it's easy to get to that point where we live the way we want regardless of what God says. 
or just get lazy, forget that we're on mission. But part of God's purpose for your life is to, is to use you to help guide and instruct other people. That's part of why you're here, to be present with them in life. So when they get to that point, maybe that point that, again, some of you, you were at at some point in your life where you just realized, man, I, I don't have the answers. And the way I've been living my life, it doesn't work. And the people that are all my friends, man, they're just a bunch of boneheads too. They don't have the answers either. At some point, some people in your life are going to get there. Some of them will get there when they're young. Some of them won't get there until they're in their 80s. But everybody gets there at some point. And God wants to use you in that place to be his hands and his feet, to speak his words. And I know some of you have been trying to do that been praying for a particular person for a really long time and it doesn't seem to be working and they don't seem to be changing and you've been around them for a long time so it comes with a question then well you know does this really work you know is there something there I've been trying to be faithfully present there's another piece to being salty and living salty also requires us to trust God's process and not give up yeah I when I when I was in Florida, what, 20 years ago, and I was uh, working with the gator trappers, part of what I would do sometimes is I would help them move hides, salted hides. We'd take a hide out, and we would salt it down, and that would just help kind of keep it preserved. We'd keep it in a cooler, but sometimes we'd move it from this cooler to that cooler, or we'd get them off to a buyer or something like that. You know, what's interesting about salt, when you pack a hide, you can't actually see what the salt's doing. If you've ever done that, you'll know what I'm talking about. I mean, it changes the characteristic of it a little bit, but you can't see its action. It's all on the microscopic level. Can I just encourage you with this? We don't really know the part that God has for our lives to play in other people's lives. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. Paul's kind of working his way through that with the believers in Corinth. That's why he tells them, he says, I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. See, the reality is we don't know exactly how our lives are affecting the people around us, for good or for bad. You may not be able to see it, but living out a life of faithfully applying Christ to what you do, to the choices that you make, to your words and your interactions and your relationships, can I just encourage you, God may be working in ways that you can't see. And you look and go, well, it isn't working for me. See, these people aren't changing the way I want them to change, man. <laughs> believe me, God's saying the same thing about both of us. But the reality is he's still faithfully present with us. And it's still working in us. Again, that whole free will thing, it's still up to the other person to let God work on them and in them. But don't give up because you don't know the full story of what God's doing through your life. Just stay faithful. Now, let's go back to the rest of that verse because he goes on in verse 13. He says this in Matthew 5, 13. What good is it if salt has lost all its flavor? Can you make it salty again? to be thrown out and trampled underfoot is worthless. Now, the, the word that we, we translate here as, as lose its flavor, it, the other way that we could translate it, maybe even a bit more, uh, bit more accurately, is foolishness. So you could say it this way. If salt becomes foolish, then it's useless. 
When salt becomes foolish, it's useless. Now, what happens when somebody claims to be one thing, but their life doesn't really follow up to their claim? They lose their credibility, right? Hey, we've been that person. We've watched tons of those people. Yeah, we, we've certainly watched that uh, play out in the political sphere over the last five years, right? You all need to do this. And then you find out the expose, they were having this party over here where they, they weren't necessarily following all the rules that us peons needed to follow. Yeah? Uh, both sides of the spectrum here. I'm not picking on anybody. Just saying. Hey, we watch that happen. What happens when that happens? Well, they look foolish. They lose their credibility, and therefore, they lose their usefulness. What does he say that salt that's become useless is good for? Nothing. Just be thrown away, which ought to make us slightly uncomfortable. But the people that Jesus was talking to, man, they didn't have salt as pure as the salt that we have. Um, So the primary way that they would get salt is they would take water from the Dead Sea, they would pour it into pits, and they would just let it evaporate out. And so then they would collect that afterwards. The other way that they would get it sometimes is they would take boats out into the salt marshes where the reeds were, and they'd knock off the salt that was drying, and they'd knock it off into their boats, and they'd take it. This stuff is not pure at all. It's Most of it's stuff that we wouldn't touch. Had a lot of impurities in it. And the interesting thing is, once the salt part was actually used up in preserving meats and doing that kind of stuff, there was still something that looked like salt left. There was this white residue, this white powder. It looked like salt, kind of smelled like salt, but it didn't actually do anything. It wasn't useful. So they just take it out and they throw it on the roadways. That's what he's saying about it being trampled underfoot. Jesus says, okay, rule number one, if, if you guys want to be part of what I'm doing and you want to be useful to me, you got to be salty. Identify as salt, but don't get sucked into the foolishness around you. Self-identification is worthless without the corresponding attributes. Talk is cheap, right? See, lots of people make lots of claims. But at the end of the day, if the attributes aren't there, doesn't matter what you say you are. You may claim to be salt, but when you, when you believe and live in a, in a way that's in opposition to God's ways or buy into the way the world thinks, man, you aren't as effective. And Jesus is saying, look, I can't use you like that. That gives us a little bit of insight into another one of Jesus' well-known saying. Look at uh, Luke 9.23. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you've got to give up your own way and take up your cross How often? Daily. And follow me, right? What does he mean by that? See how these dovetail? Look, I just tell you, living salty is an active choice. You and I have to make the choice to live salty every single day. It is what it is. It is easy to get lazy. (laughs) Some of us were really salty in the past, but we've lost our strength and we've lost our effectiveness. Yet the good news is in Christ, man, God can still renew our life if you let him. But you got to choose to be faithful every single day. The second metaphor or role is in verse 14. So he goes on, Matthew 5, 14. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Jesus saying, look, you, you have light. And if you got light... The goal of light is not to be hidden. You shouldn't try to hide it. His intent is for his light 
in you for other people to see that. That's the goal. And again, this is where it gets difficult. When it comes to living out the parts of God's design that are different than, than what the world says is good around us, man, it's easy to get to a point where we go, ah, just, can't we just get along? Can't we just, you know, I just want to look, here's the word you got to be so careful with. I just want to be normal. Really? Hey, what is that? <laughs> I think that ship sailed. But I've had this conversation so many times. I, I had it with a guy who I was really, really close to. Still am really close to. I was talking to him on the phone. He was telling me about his marriage, and his marriage was falling apart. And he said, well, it's not that bad, not compared to the other guys I work with. Okay, it's normal for the people you hang out with, but is it good? Is it godly? Like, do you really want normal to be your bar? We want to hide. At least we want to blend in. Here's a reality about light. To shine light means it cannot blend in with the darkness. Incompatible. Doesn't work. Inconceivable. It's not the way things work. You know, a lot of us have been taught that faith is personal. It's not something that really ought to be shown. It's not something that we talk about in life. It's not polite, may offend somebody. It's just not how we are. And I, I get that. Faith is a personal thing. You know, we talk a lot about having a personal faith in Jesus, right? But there's a huge difference between your faith being personal and being private. Your faith... As it, as it makes your life different, was never, ever meant to be private. Look at Philippians 2, 13 through 15. God's working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. So do everything without complaining and arguing so that nobody can criticize you. Look at this. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God doing what? Shining like bright stars. The point of light is to what? Be seen. That's the whole point. Light illuminates things. It reveals things. And Jesus says, look, my, my intent is to illuminate life. Man, I want to give direction. I want to show the way forward. I want to enlighten the people who are around you. I'm going to use you and the way that you live in me to turn a light on for people in their lives. Look at what he goes on to say, verses 15 through 16. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Couldn't do that. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen to this, we'll come back to this in just a second. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Light at that time was expensive. It's expensive now. There's a light that drives me nuts that my kids keep turning on at the house that we're living in because it's useless. It doesn't need to be on. It's just sucking electricity and it costs me money. I'm getting to be old and miserly. Even with LEDs, it drives me nuts. Light was even more expensive back then. You know, a family might only have one lamp burning because that's all they could afford. They definitely wouldn't have light for as long as what we're used to having light in the darkness. But they would take one light, and what they would do is they would put it, you know, 
generally speaking, they're all living in a very small room compared to what we're used to as far as a house. It's one big room, right? And somebody may be working on, you know, working on a project over here. Maybe somebody's cooking something over here. They'd take one light. They'd stick it into the house on a stand. They found these. We know what they look like. And they would take it and they would put it strategically in that room somewhere where it would give the most light to the most number of people in the house. And that's what he's saying about you. I'm going to position you strategically to provide light for people. Do you believe that? We say it, but I mean, do we really believe it? Do we live it? Is that a conscious thought as you go through your day? I am where I am right now. God's put me here strategically for this person or that person or this situation or for that situation. That's a hard thing to remember. That's a hard perspective to have all the time. And you know what? There's no middle ground between light and darkness, right? It's either light or it's dark. There is no in-between. It's either on or off. Some of you are thinking, I don't know about this. <laughs> a, it sounds hard. I don't know if I can do it. And, you know, isn't Jesus supposed to be the light? I mean, he's the light of the world, so isn't this kind of a contradiction? Isn't this on God? You know, one of my favorite things growing up, I grew up in eastern Kentucky. I love hiking through the woods because I grew up in the woods. I love hiking in the woods at night. And where I grew up, we had lots of cliffs, so it made it like there was an adrenaline dump as well. But I especially loved to hike at night when there was a full moon. And I could turn the flashlight off. Sometimes I didn't even take a flashlight with me. And you just walk through, man, moonlight is beautiful. I love those. I love those hikes. You know, no matter how bright the moon is, though, it doesn't give off one lumen of light on its own. Does the moon make light? Remember back to like fourth grade uh, earth science or whatever it was? Right? It's a big rock. That's it. So give some of you hope. I'm telling you, follow my analogy here. <laughs> Reality is it doesn't give off any. It can't produce any kind of light. What does it do? It reflects light, right? See, our job, my job, your job, is not to create the light. But what God has called us to do is simply remain faithfully in position. Remain in position. Let his light shine. Let it reflect off your life. Let him shine out into other people. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7. God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that's seen the face of Jesus Christ. And we now have this light shining in our hearts. We now have this. We've got it. It's not ours. We're not producing it. It's him, it's him lighting the way in us, right? Now, how's he going to do that? Well, let's go back to Matthew 5. Remember that little, that last, uh, that last sentence there that I told you we'd come back to? What did Jesus tell him? How's it going to happen? Your good deeds will shine out for everybody to see. There is a direct relationship with how you live your life and what people believe. Don't ever diminish that. There is a direct relationship between what we do 
and how people view God in heaven. Because what did he finish with saying? He said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so what? So that everyone will do what? Praise your heavenly Father. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say that your well-comprehended, formulated arguments were going to do it. He didn't say that people would relent to your superior intellect shown mightily on social media. He didn't say the world would be amazed at the clarity of your explanation. Again, this is giving some of you hope. <laughs> Wasn't any of that. What does it come down to? It comes down to how authentically, how faithfully we live out our lives in line with God and with his word. You know, we get stuck on these questions. How do I convince so-and-so? How do I make so-and-so believe what I believe? Again, maybe, maybe, we've, maybe we've gotten off on a little bit of the wrong question. Maybe it comes back to this thing, that, this, this model that Jesus gave us. Maybe the question is something like this. How do I live a come and see life? Jesus probably taught this lesson multiple times during his three years of ministry. If I know anything, it's this. If you're a pastor and you hit on a really good sermon and you get different groups of people in front of you, you're going you're gonna to wring that thing dry. Okay, you guys don't know that one? It, okay, let me give you a different analogy. It means you'll say the same sermon over and over again if there's different people in the audience because it's a good one. Okay, you don't find that funny. It's a preacher thing. <laughs> Jesus did it. Just saying, we're in good company. So Luke recorded another time when Jesus taught this concept. Luke 11, 33 through 36. Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a clay pot. Sound familiar? Lamps put on a lampstand so that everybody who comes into the house can see the light. So he's reusing this. But this one's a little different. Your eyes are the lamp for your body. When your eyes are good, you have all the light you need. But when your eyes are bad, everything's dark. So be sure that your light isn't darkness. If you have light and nothing is dark, then light will be everywhere as when a lamp shines brightly on you. That verse makes a little bit more sense when we understand that He's talking about a good eye and a bad eye. What he's really talking about is a healthy eye versus an unhealthy eye. I was talking to somebody earlier this week about cataracts. They're getting ready to have surgery. You'll see a huge difference, right? Because it, it, it starts to affect the light that can come into your eye. You can't see things as clearly. You're not getting as much. It's not the way a healthy eye works. Healthy eyes are able to take in the light and they're able to make the most out of it. The light fills the body. This is your answer. You live your life in such a way that other people are designed to experience God and his design for life through you. Some of you need some more specifics in that. Okay, here's my encouragement. This week, go back, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters, won't take you very long. Again, this is that Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. You probably read it before what you'll find is a very practical discourse on how God's design is different than the world around us. I won't go through the whole thing, but I'll give you a few highlights. Your purpose in life will be different. How you deal with anger and injustice and people who mistreat you will be different. Your sexual choices and relationships will be different. How you see people around you, particularly people hurting and in need, will be different. You'll respond differently as well.
how you interact and dialogue with God will be different. What motivates you, what you think is important in life is going to be different. You're going to be more concerned with what God cares about than what you think your rights are. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says this. Since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, put on the, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Again, sometimes I think we get so caught up in how to convince other people to be Christians, to, to think the way that we think, and to want what we want, and to believe what we believe, that again, we ask the wrong question. Again, instead of getting stuck on how do I get this person to, to, be, to believe what I believe and to say the same things that I say again, maybe the first question we need to ask is, God, how can I live in such a way that this person whoever it is, you fill in the blank, meets you through my life? Boy, that's a different question, isn't it? For our conversation, maybe we can, we can ask the question, we can answer it this way. Again, the question is, how do I live a come and see life? This answer is a little too long, I fully admit, but I don't know how to make it any shorter, so hang with me. By allowing God to challenge and change every desire in my life, every belief, every purpose, changing me into the holy person I was created to be. You want to know how God wants to change the world? Through you. By you learning the holiness, living out the holy, righteous life he designs you to experience to begin with. Does that mean that God can only use us when we're perfect? No, we're all going to have moments when we fail. It's going to happen. I am so thankful that God loves me enough to remain faithful <laughs> and still use me even in the midst of the fact that I'm not perfect yet. But you know, I, I, I do think if you can live within that humble reality, I believe that God can use us to affect this world around us in far more profound ways than most of us can imagine. Let's, uh, let's have a conversation with him about that. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for meeting us here. And, and some of what we talked about today is actually really hard. Again, a lot of us have, have fallen into this belief that how we live doesn't really matter. We can claim to be this. If we just show up and we do the right things, then it means we get to live with a title. And the reality is titles don't matter. Father, I, I pray that you would help us, convict us in the areas of our life that are outside of the holiness you designed us for, the righteousness that you designed us for, not just so that we can be good, that's not the point, but that we can be like you, that we can be with you, and Father, that we can be used by you. Father, I pray wherever there's, wherever there's something in my life um, that gets in the way of your kingdom work, Father, give me the faithfulness and the integrity to allow you to carve that out. Father, give me the courage to deal with it so that you can change my kids, my wife, my family, the people I'm around, people I work with, Father, that you can affect them through my life. Help what I believe line up with how I live. 
Father, we know that we can't do this on our own. That's, that's one of the reasons why we, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit that, that works in us. But Father, I also know that we've got to give you permission and allow you to do that day in and day out. So we just want to do that right now. If there's anybody here who needs to make any decision to allow you to work in their lives, to allow you to lead them, whatever decision that might be, Father, I pray they'd make it right now. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.